Welcome to the Banter at the Counter podcast here at Phone Savers in Killarney. I'm John Lynch and I'll be bringing you fun and insights from everyday customers, inspiration from entrepreneurs and from my own life journey. So come on in and join me as I deep dive into the secrets of life and success. I'm delighted Mary. to be in Killarney. It's great to be in Killarney on this sunny day after so much rain. I know. And we didn't just catch you for a phone, we caught you for a podcast. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. you know, amazing things happen on the spur of the moment. I know. So, thank so you. how's life with you? Good? Good. Yeah, life yeah. is good. Life is, is throwing me up all kinds of new things. Different things. Yeah. In uh, West Kerry, in Balin or Terig, the Bull Team, uh, there is a small museum there. It's affiliated to the National Museum. But you're from, you're from Tarbert, right? I'm from Tarbert, yeah, but yeah. I would be very familiar with West Kerry. And it turns out that uh, because of the pandemic, I think primarily, they are short on cash, isn't everybody? And uh, they were looking for a voluntary curator to the museum. So so you've taken a, a new job, is it? Yeah. Like I, I knew you were a school teacher, right? Yeah, I, I was and teaching then you did, up until uh, almost two years ago. Yeah. And what happened? Well... Did you leave that or... I just yes. got talking to you there. I thought it was an interesting story that you... I did leave You it. left the I nest. I suppose so much has happened in the last two years for me. But two years ago, almost two years ago, I decided that uh, I suppose I didn't want to drift towards retirement. So when I came to the mid-50 mark, I said, hold on a second, Mary, maybe you should plan another course. And that's what I've done. And uh, I suppose because I was rearing a family and was working... You get on, you get, you get stuck on the mill, don't you? Like treading away on the yeah, mill and doing yeah, the family yeah, thing. Yeah, you do. And, and it was happy and it was good. And I, I did love it. I loved the young people that I was working with there because all those characters are, they're irreplaceable. They're brilliant. Yeah. You know, you'd, you'd feed off them because they're, they're so amusing. So you loved so your job, fun. like? Yeah, I did love my job, but I also wanted to have some freedom and some space for creativity. I've always loved just following. You're always creative. Well, I've always followed my creative instincts. And I suppose in order to to let it fit in with being a mum and being at home and yeah. all, all of that lifestyle. I went with poetry and I went with uh, writing in general and then I found myself with a story that I, I couldn't fit in a poem and I couldn't fit in a short story and it didn't fit a novel, so I wrote a play. And then in When order did you write the play? Because I, I wrote a screenplay, like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hello, my, my play is well, for the, the stage for live drama. And when I went to find if any of the theatre groups, amateur theatre groups in North Kerry were interested in using my play, their production. Was this your first play role? You don't just write, do you? You don't just write one, is what I meant to say there. Something happens where you kind of go, geez, I wonder, could I write that? What happened? What happened that you wanted to write, to write a play? Well... Do you know, I mean, it's, it's not like everybody wakes up in the morning and goes, I'm going to write a play like. The drama I wrote is based around the experiences of my aunt and I was very close to her. And after she died and after her son died, he took his life. Well, I think that her story, when my neighbour said, that's the chapter closed, something jarred inside and I said, no, it's not closed because something was unresolved. And I set about then finding a way to tell a story, more so for for myself, I suppose, as someone who loved her and who understood what had happened. 
and I wanted to to resolve the story for myself. And the way I did that then was was with the play. And for the last, uh, for the climax of the play and to write out the final resolution of the play, I went to the Blasket Islands for three nights and I just dug in deep to each character. So this... And finished it there. Tragedy, right? Yeah, how do you know it's a tragedy? Interesting, well, I thought that. I'm just... No, no, I'm saying the tragedy that happened. Yeah. I, well, oh, it, 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 this on, is yeah. well. Well, this is interesting because what happens is like when I'm writing, it's not about something I don't know. It's always about parts of my life that come out in the writing, in the story, whatever it might be. They might be adjusted, but it's always got some remnants of my own life. So that's kind of like why I said it's probably a tragedy. It's, it's a tragedy that happened, obviously. But I'm thinking now when you say that it was a tragedy, it's probably inherent in the story, is it, as well? Um, yeah, well, I suppose I'm not sure I sometimes struggle with the word tragedy because I suppose it's a word that we use a great deal in all kinds of contexts. So for me, it's a story about loss of of loss of different types. And I think loss is a word that maybe fits emotionally to the world I was, I suppose, manoeuvring in, in inside myself. Yeah. And I would agree that everything really resonates back to some part of your own subconscious um, portfolio. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> the filing system that's there, you know, yeah, kind of things come out. And, and then I suppose to go back again, when the uh, job ended and I was free in that sense, in terms of time. I think you ended the job, did you? Well, I did. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Chose, I chose to, to come Why? out. I chose to come out because I knew that... How long were you Perhaps. teaching? Oh, I was teaching all my life. Wow. Yeah. But I knew I knew that perhaps life sometimes may not be quite as long as one intends. And uh, and I did want to not so much achieve for for the gold stars or anything or for any gain like that, but just for the pure undiluted satisfaction of giving myself the opportunity. So I just gave myself that license that I'm going to follow my creative instincts and see where it takes me. And that took me then to two exhibitions, art exhibitions of Haiga art. Haiga is when you bring a blend of simple imagery, not complex. It's simple insofar as that when you see it, you bring your own world to it and you interpret yourself as opposed to the artist interpreting for you. And then with that goes a small piece of poetry, a fragment, a haiku, Japanese poem. It's an old Japanese Art. The old Japanese masters used haiga, H-A-I-G-A. So I did a haiga exhibition with birds, 20 native Irish birds, and a haiga exhibition with trees, 20 native Irish trees. And I followed that up then. Birds and trees. Yeah, Yeah. because people are tricky. So I don't work on people. I work on anything that is not (laughs) human. Do you find people tricky? I do find people very tricky because because the sand... I'm really interested in why you find them tricky. (laughs) Come on, spill the beans. Oh no, the sand (laughs) keeps shifting and and everything keeps moving. And just when you think you have captured and done understood then something else occurs yeah. so and i i like that because the the human person is magnificently mysterious and i should never Absolutely, think that yeah. i or anybody else should should get a hold of it but i mean tricky sometimes in our relationships so like relationships would be uh, how are you about relationships i'm great i'm i'm very <laughs> very very sociable and yeah. I, I would be very 
well able to hold warm and good relationships across the board. Well, that's to be great honest. to be able to say that, I think. Yeah, but you know? nonetheless, in terms of art, I find that which is most beautiful and most endearing. I think you, I, what I hear is, is that what I hear is that that you you're you you're on about self-expression in some way, are you? You're an introvert, are you? No, I don't think I'm an introvert at all. Really? No, I do not. I think that maybe the part of the natural world that I find most appealing is that which is probably maybe, I don't know, perhaps closest to God because it doesn't have any inherent power for evil or it doesn't have any inherent ability for just badness. And that's the natural world. So when you're dealing with flowers and you're dealing with birds and you're dealing with trees, you're working in a field where the energy there is very... I suppose essentially it's pure. So when you come to it, it's it's complex, mm. but it's also very close to perfection. So then when you are writing around that, I think it's 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 a more pure. I I find it more satisfying, and I feel if I'm searching for the truth in how I'm experiencing my relationship with the silver birch, just for example, then I can very genuinely feel my way into that in an uncomplex manner yeah, okay. than if I tried to to do whatever might involve the human being because the human being is very complex and can not so much let you down but I suppose it's the ego it can suddenly oh, turn God, yeah. and, and be gone in a different direction and my own ego as well oh, so, well uh, ego I, I, is what yeah, it's good and bad and but God. I think I can park ego when it comes to working with nature. So that's what, what, what is the ego exactly? The ego, what is the ego? To you, like? Well, to me... I mean, I'm sure you'd write about it now or express it in some art or something. Well, I have rather deliberately left it aside because I think it it's very subjective and it can really dull the senses. I think it's much better if... I find, well, for myself, and I'm speaking only of my own creativity, yeah. I find to park the ego is the very best way to to delve deeper into my creativity. Because then um, love, of, I, love of myself or love of other people or concern with success or concern with m- money or concern with the things that the ego gets worried about, about status and about, you know, making it in the... Arts mm. council, or, or whatever. The well, there's egos in the arts council too. Uh, like, yeah, but there's egos everywhere. Sure, but um, but I think for me, it's it's more beautiful to delve where where the ego doesn't exist. Do you, you're, you're talking about free expression in, in your art, like like how in what context would you create art without the ego? Well, yes, ego is real and relevant but once you don't give it status and stature I think I get what you mean yeah 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 it is there but by focusing on what isn't you're doing it for the love of what you do and not really for the results yeah that's right yeah that would be it that's important I mean this is what I'm doing this podcast thing is kind of like I just love doing it like imagine you're my second person I've interviewed today I mean, and then I'm waiting like two or three weeks or nearly a month to, to get someone on the show. <laughs> like who wants to come on this show, you know, that kind of thing. Like, But um, no, I just, I find people fascinating and the artistic, I, I think art is great for for one thing. It, it enables you to get in touch with how you feel about things and how you are in yourself. I think it's great to express that and put it on paper or something. Like when I wrote my, tried to write 
uh, <laughs> a screenplay, which um, I thought was was good. At the end of it, it wasn't going to win an Academy Award or anything like. But you know, that would be the ego thinking I'm going to win the Academy Award in the morning. But I'd always try and do the best I can, though. You know, um, for me, when I wrote, we'd say that piece, and you wrote a play. After I wrote it, I looked at it, and it was like, wow. You could nearly feel yourself in it, and it was really personal to me. It got to be, as they call it, one of your babies, kind of a thing. And for anyone else to do anything to it or adjust it was like, you know, this was sacrosanct. No one could touch this piece of writing. Mm -hmm. And when I gave it to a director, I uh, was going to take it on board um, to to make it into a short film. It's a short script. going to make a short film out of it. He said, well, you know, we make it, I've heard that directors make adjustments and they start creating it into something else. And it was like, the hair stood up in the back. <laughs> I, I didn't want anyone to touch this. But what I'm saying is, that's how personal it got to me. Do you find your art is that same way? I mean, the more you put into it, the more personal it gets. Um, well, it's personal while I'm in the process of creating it. But once it's created, then that's it. It's released and I let it go and... I can't, I don't try to control it and I can't, I can't control how you receive it. Like if someone adjusted your play, would you be kind of, oh, I don't know about that, like I found it very... No, I would of, be okay with it if the emotional energy was retained. I think yeah, if the that's emotional what I mean. energy in the play is retained, yeah. then it's okay to change, change around the pieces of the jigsaw because sometimes people need to do that yeah but when like I'm, he adjusted a couple of things and then he, but he kept the integrity of it like mm, just a couple of mm, two little scenes and I was like okay that's enough I'm okay with that mm, you know but not the whole thing near enough well you know? uh, the, the play the first play I wrote is it has been renamed Half Crazy so uh, that's that play and I parked that one because I am quite close to to that play emotionally yeah. and I intend to stage it but I'm waiting until I'm ready. That's I'm ready because the emotional world of it. It did win um, at the Stoll Writers Week a rehearsed reading. And a person who was at it came up and said, uh, Mary, that's Kitty's story. <laughs> that was my aunt's name. So wow. he recognised it in that sense, which was interesting and also quite daunting because I had thought I had hidden it very well. And then there was... A couple of years ago, up in North Kerry at the Moyen Vane Look Bog outside Listowel, a lot of controversy and quite a degree of strong feeling on every side around the rights of people to cut the bog. This and is quite uh, a contentious issue, isn't it? it is really? And, and it still is, really. Jim, yeah, it still is. And Minister Jimmy Deanhan at the time was, he had the portfolio in the department for Arts Heritage in the Gaeltacht and it was his responsibility to sort it out and it probably did impact on his eventual loss of the seat in North Kerry, which was very unfortunate. Yeah, you think he did the right thing and he lost the seat over it? Well, he did the right thing, certainly. And I also think that um, he he was a brilliant Put man his head in the a block. dreadful loss uh, to, to North Kerry. Yeah. But for all of that, um, I wrote a play then about a character called Dear Me. So Dear Me is the abbreviation of Dear, Dear Mood. Yeah. And a dear me is an old man who cannot understand how a law from Brussels could somehow prevent him from doing what for several generations and his father and father before him kind of thing had always done, which was to cut the turf. And it was a very much part of his psychic. So I wrote that play and the 
local group in Tarbert. We had an army of 17 people. The army in Tarbert. Yeah. You know who you are, folks. You know who you are. <laughs> and only one had been on the stage before, Yvonne O'Keefe Fox. Everybody else was brand new to the stage. But the only way I was going to get the play staged was to uh, set up our own company. So we did that, the Tarbert Theatre Players. It's community group. It's not for profit or anything. And who set this up? I did. It's community focused. I do a lot of things. I think that's entrepreneurial in my book. Yeah. Well, it is entrepreneurial insofar as that if you want to make a success of something, you need to to make moves in order to create Absolutely. those Absolutely. It takes action, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. that was the action. So I'm all over that. Well done. Congratulations. We had, I think we had a, it's a great thing. 14 full houses in different parts of the Amateur Drama League of Ireland circuit and locally. People were interested and it was good. It went yeah. very, very well. And now with the pandemic, I'm half thinking that I might rewrite it as a monologue and give it back to the man who played Dear Me and let him yeah. deliver the same story, but in the safety in terms of dramatic uh, staging, in the safety of monologue. So I'm thinking I'm going to do that over the Christmas season because uh, it'll keep me busy. And Jeez. it would be really good to look forward to it. And he's he's game for it. His name is John Dowling from Tarbert. OK. Yeah, he's retired. He's an older man, but he's super. He he so gets the importance of the bog to the psychic. <laughs> and well, he, I, he's in that world. I used to hate the bog. <laughs> hate it, right? I can remember going up in the car going, this is a Saturday gone. Mm. I used to love my Saturdays like. I prefer to be playing football with the lads and doing wheelies on the bike and robbing apples and all that stuff like, do you know. But um, the midges and, right. But one thing that I loved about it was the tea. Yeah, isn't that gas? The tea and sandwiches. Like, I think <laughs> I went up there for the tea and sandwiches. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it just was like, okay, I'll suffer the pain because at least I'll know at the end of it, I get this lovely bog tea. Yes. And sandwiches. Yeah. And used to get the best of sandwiches because I used to lace on the ham and the cheese and everything was brought out. You know, it used to be like, we have to feed the lads like, (laughs) you know, but I have a great respect for it now, looking back. It's Mm. a bit like the Irish language, you know, I'd love to learn Irish properly now, but at school I didn't want to learn it much. I got to like it a bit, but now I'd love to learn it properly, how to speak Mm. the couple of words, ask Gaelic, like, you know, but sometimes things stick in our minds like that we love to hate that come up again mm. I mean now I would say myself that people should have the right to cut their own turf you know because it's part of our culture and our heritage you know um, well I think that there's there's a middle ground which is probably where the truth lies it would not be correct to cut destructively a piece of ground that acts as a sponge for, as a water basin and as a natural habitat for so many species of flora and fauna. In regards, my own experience in North Kerry and with the controversy at Muinvianlook Bog, which is outside Listowel, the Mavan side of Listowel, Tarbot side of Listowel, I think we underestimate how close people are to their traditions and we underestimate mm. how my character, dear me, quite genuinely, had no means to figure out what precisely was the reason that he couldn't do what for generations his family had always done. To send letters and to threaten imprisonment and to impose fines is not a good approach. Although maybe the motives are good and wholesome, Mm. that we must protect the bog, but you cannot assume 
that you have the right to roll like, you know, a machine across what are the traditions of other people without fully bringing them with you. Well, I, I'm against sort of the machine thing. I was kind of against it anyway. But the schlong should definitely be allowed. I don't know. Well, yes, but, but on, on... It's a bit air, like a bower on, isn't it? It's got the same sort of weight to it, you know, culturally. Well... I think they're two different things, but I hear, I get the point you're making, that it is a tradition. But I still would feel, in terms of ecology, that that must come first. And if in the next 10 years we don't alter the way we're managing our environment, we are in such colossal trouble and we are so enormously, capital F, foolish as a people. So... I believe preservation of the bogs belongs within all that discussion. And I know I, for one, want to find a way in the next 10 years to revolutionise how we are around caring for our environment. And I think that the bog is and how we manage the bog and whether we cut it or not or where we do, if we do, all of that belongs to a very respectful conversation. And my play was about a lack of respect because you cannot impose, you cannot expect to succeed by imposing rules which make no sense. You have to bring people with you. You have to allow those people who are at the forefront of whatever the issue is in this particular place case, it was mm-hmm. bog cutting. My character, Jeremy McMurrah, was his character name. And uh, you, you cannot unless you bring him with you, win. And I think that's a very big part of of what we need to do. We need to bring people with us, which is possible, but it takes... So we need to change, you mean? Yeah, well, we do. I I think top-down stuff doesn't work. I believe believe community, active community within small, basic communities is where real change can happen. I think it's interesting, the top-down thing is a, a sort of a pyramid I'd see often in business in business and in um, in in uh, in politics. It's there big time. I think someone said once that the guns are always pointing downwards, you know, even be it in a, a, a company, you know, the, the CEO is always pointing the gun down to his, the lesser mortals and they're pointing it down to the people at the bottom. You never point your gun upwards or you get fired, you know. And it happens that way. I think in politics, it happens that way. The lesser mortals elect someone to represent the people that voted for them. But I think it gets lost there. Um, the politicians, as you say, the, the, the bottom-up thing, they're supposed to be, in other words, the people at the bottom vote for people to be put at the top to be their trusted servants in a way, Right. But the trusted servant turns into something else and he's got vested interests and he becomes the person that tells us what to do at the end and he dictates to us. If it gets really bad, they start dictating. So I I do think the ideal model is from the people from the bottom to elect people as trusted servants to be at the top. But unfortunately, the trusted servants get lost and they turn into something else. Yeah, but I think it's not so much the trusted servants that are in error there I think it's more so it's a systemic problem we are we are too big we are too global we are too 
organisationally national. I believe that small community and small units work. And I believe in local government. I believe in local governing. And I think when we can return more towards that model, uh, I suppose if you were to trace back historically in Ireland through the period of the Estona and right back to tribal Ireland, those small units work. And but they, they, they had elected leaders, you see, yeah? Yes, yeah. leadership and electing leaders is a very normal process. And they would they would lead the people like... Correct, but the system wasn't complex in the way it is now, which is layered like what you just described. Yeah, and I think it kind of gets lost there because it's so complex. It does, like, because it becomes so bureaucratic that and some people, going around in circles. Well, it's like quangos and things like they're They're made complicated, so they can't be touched. Mm, I would agree with that. Do you know? I mean, I you might think, oh my God, am I cynical? Well, you know, I've been around half a century. I kind of think I have some two pence worth, you know, mm. to see. Like, um, like I even see in industry, people create problems to get you to pay for the solution when there's no problem in the first place. <laughs> it's like these half these rules and regulations aren't needed. Mm. And if you rewind the clock, you go, well, how did I survive when there was no roll cones 1,000 metres long? Yeah. Well, pretty well, like, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, I have to have a, a license to drive a digger or, you know, you might think, oh, you do now because you do. But before you didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you probably drill down into it, there's probably the same amount of accident. I don't know. I mean, you could really, you could really drill down into the thing. I mean, I am cynical when it comes to certain things. All right. Yeah. And politicians, probably. I think there are good politicians and bad politicians like anything else. Yeah. Um, but. Interesting enough, the sense of community was brought up in another podcast, um, and I think he called it metal, where they they come together years ago, and they watched out for one another. If someone lost a, a father or and a mother in a family, they'd take care of the children and they'd bring them on and they'd bring them up, you know, without any questions or paperwork or or people getting involved in it. They sure, just, yeah. you know, they. they they do their so the lack of paperwork and and rules and regulations worked better then you could say maybe well people following their best instincts and their good instincts and volunteering that's an important word i suppose to fall in where they are needed yeah so in terms of the mehel uh, and doing the physical work on the bog of the farm then that was the norm because that's how you managed to They fell in and did their bit like, yeah. Yeah, and they did that for each other and that's how you moved through the weeks of... I mean, we used to cut turf with the neighbour and, Mm. you know, I I remember doing hay with the... the, I kind of grew up on a farm at the start and helping someone else with the hay and I was going, okay, that's what you do and that's what you did and, you know, they helped us or we were picking spuds and they helped us pick spuds and, you know... Yeah, and now I think there is is maybe a tendency, particularly for young people, to feel that if they're doing something they should be paid, you know, that there should Mm. be a financial reward because the notion is that work and pay are two sides of the same coin, which I wouldn't, I suppose, in my own case feel is necessarily true. Most of the very rewarding and very enriching experiences I've had in terms of workloads I've taken on have been in volunteer capacities over the years. Mm. And um, 
as I set out now as volunteer curator to Museum Corcovina in Malyanertherig in Danganikush, I think that that I'm hoping will be another example of uh, an enriching phase of You're life. looking forward to that, Mary? Yeah, I am looking forward to it. Uh, th- the fact that there is no payment doesn't bother me. I'm not wealthy by any standard or any means, but I think sometimes a, an over-preoccupation with money and income and cash flow can can it can distract you and it can take you from where your creative energies are well, actually... I have to you. disagree because <laughs> I don't mind having money. Now, I don't have a lot of money at all. I hardly have any money. But anyway, like I sound like a politician. <laughs> but honestly, like... But I think the question comes you know? back again as to what is your most satisfying experiences of life and is it the getting my of money or is it doing my what most your satisfying take you to i'm nearly always happy um so it's always sort of the moment for me yeah and i think for me anyway is to really enjoy the moment all the time and that's that's about it and like if i've 10 million euros to enjoy the moment that's even better still fine you know um but it's not the be all and end all of everything. I love the journey, Mary, right? And I like being an entrepreneur. I like business. Um, I like the creative aspect of life. I like meeting people. I like being by myself at a certain time. I like my own company. I like other people's company. That's it, really. Like, my idea wouldn't be, I'll be happy when I get 10 million. Mm. That's not, a, that's, you might as well stop and forget the whole thing if you're thinking like that. Yeah, well, Do you know what I mean? Well, for me, the word happy is a hard word to grasp. I don't know if I have ever been happy. That's a word I find difficult to master. I Mm. can't explain why. Maybe it's because it's bandied about so much and it's attached to things like birthday and anniversary. That's kind of like euphoria, isn't it? But to me, content. Reasonable happiness, maybe. Yeah, well, for me, I like the word being content. And that I feel and that I know when I have it and that I know when I do not have it. Mm. And... The pursuit of contentment is, as opposed to the pursuit of happiness, is what I find um, endearing. And I suppose subconsciously that's where I I am now in the last recent uh, past, allowing myself to go and the freedom to go there. And I also do believe, and I would be victim to it as well, uh, I would also believe that Money can put scales on our eyes and I would know quite a few people where it does become God and when trying to work out the amount of money one has, one can spend, one, and I'm not suggesting that it's not difficult for people and some mm. people really get a tough time and they really have very little in order to cover the basic needs in life. But it's also true to say that if you become too obsessive with with money and and resources and those things which you own, then there is another dimension of your life which you may be neglecting or which you may not be pursuing in the fullness uh, of, of Well, interesting. Of there was a time I had nothing. Broke. I would make apologies for having a reasonably good standard of living which I think everybody should have and everybody has the capacity to do. Like, um, Unfortunately, we need money to live and, you know, that's part of, you know, you have to kind of, it's, it's just that's life-like, you know. 
as the way it's set up. There seems to be a good contrast between money and art, do you know? There seems to be like, don't if you're an artist, don't talk about money. And if you're a millionaire, don't talk about, talk, don't talk about art. <laughs> Yet the millionaire will buy art for a million, or sometimes uh, 50, or what am I on about, maybe 200 million for a painting. And the artist will take the money. I mean, yeah. so, you know, it's interesting. It's like, yeah, we, we're, we're both sides of the fence, but, you know, we, we, we talk to one another as nice neighbours, like, when it suits us. It is interesting, and I suppose it, when you stand back a little bit and examine it, art and artistic expression and creative endeavour, in many ways, in my view, becomes polluted by the financial world mm-hmm. and okay. I'm not suggesting for a moment that some people whose artistic output um, isn't absolutely stunning and beautiful and it is and I know people who are absolutely beyond incredibly talented there's some wonderful artists incredibly really I've seen a lot of so, fantastic stuff but I don't necessarily believe that uh, it's a very narrow window for them to um, somehow move towards assuming that the value of what they have created can somehow be represented in monetary form. And I think to to believe that the numbers of paintings that they sell or to believe that the number of whatever they have created brings people in the door and audiences in the door or listenership or whatever the case might be, I don't believe that's necessarily um, a safe and reliable gauge. When you say art, it, you know, it's it's defined actually by monetary f- terms because the Mona Lisa can't be defined in artistic terms. So that increases its value in monetary terms. So you could say that the monetary value is a good reflection of an artistic uh, value. Well, you know... You could say that. Probably, you you could. Well, one can say all kinds of things in all kinds of ways. That's how it's measured, though. It's measured by money. It's measured as as money. I would agree, and I would be aware of that. And I know, you know, go back to the period of the Renaissance and the sponsors and all of that. I still believe that it's a very dangerous measurement. So, how do we measure art then? Well, I'm not suggesting I have an answer, but I do know that measuring in monetary terms is extremely dangerous, and. There were many people who have had a fountain, an absolute fountain of beautiful talent and who became dismayed because they didn't have sales or they didn't have whatever was the, you know, measuring device, yeah, which yeah. ultimately meant... There are wonderful artists that never got recognised monetarily, maybe. Correct, and there yeah. are some who are maybe but more, isn't that more okay, close like? to mediocre who do because they might have had good connections in and the so, arts well, council. I've seen it. Well, did you the know the what? The now we, arts department or something like that, which is not necessarily... Uh, I've me, seen it. I've seen it in the film, people, the, the film thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, so, it, it is how it is. I mean, So for me, uh, following your artistic appetite and doing so without the need, without having an inbuilt need for the adulation of others. Like artistic integrity, really, isn't it? Yeah, or for um, enormous monetary gain. For me, if I can, in my artistic endeavours, wherever they take me, because it keeps changing, and I don't mind that, I I would follow where it takes me. And as long as I can not go into debt because of it, 
to so you need to get anyway. paid something i mean no i i i really don't allow the the financial concerns to yeah. overwhelm me because if they did then i think i would somehow stunt the creative well, impulse of course. that is there i think i think yeah and i i agree with you like i do it because i love doing it not because i put a value on it i mean i don't put a value on it i mean i'm doing this because i love doing it not because I'm thinking this would to get the calculator there. No, I think that five minutes is worth that much. Yeah, but that's you a know. dimension of John, but, John Lynch's, you know. you know, deep humanity being given a, an avenue of expression. And for me, it's the same thing. I, I walked in here to buy a phone. And I collared you. I collared you for a I know. My son broke his phone yesterday and he was uh, so disappointed. And I said, you know, I'm going to start out this phone thing for you. And I came in And you got collared, didn't you? And here I am. And I have to say... It, even though this may be a pandemic, <laughs> it is the most enjoyable <laughs> spell of the pandemic that I have enjoyed. Well, thank you. And likewise, <laughs> yeah, likewise. It's great old fun. Um, yeah, it's great fun. And in terms I, of gratitude, John, to say the word and great yeah. attitude, you do have the great attitude. I'm not so sure because I can't assess whether I do or I don't. But I, I think do you have a great attitude. I, I am great, yeah. grateful Look, to you for, for this, that, that, this fun and for this opportunity well, to you, explore whatever's going on inside our brains. Honestly, you're more more than welcome and like it's it's the the ins and outs of life i'm grateful that you're here right because without you there's no show i'd be talk to myself for (laughs) i can do as you mentioned a monologue i can try and do one of them i'd probably be disaster at that too but i don't know (laughs) i find people the interactions like it's really interesting where people are coming from and their different areas of life how they get through it what happened what they overcome uh, what they love, what they hate. Do they really hate what they love? Like the bog. I love to hate the bog, you know. I mean, yeah. I got it wrong the first time. I thought I hated it, but I love to hate it. The different ways you can look at things like. Yeah. Can I just say, uh, finally, that in terms of interactions, which mm. I think is what you've just said, in terms of interactions between people, when you are present either side of the table and you're meeting eyeball to eyeball and we're watching each other's hands movement well, and, the, we, yeah. and, and we are completely I, tell you, I have it on video so go to our YouTube <laughs> channel Banter at the Counter i got a plug sorry engaged, I'm just absolutely that, unforgivable and in all of that <laughs> I think it speaks volumes for what we have lost through Zoom calls and Google Meet yeah. and people who are tied into online forums because it's the gaiety and the frivolous fun and to use the word you just used the banter all of that is so tangible when you are with in the presence of another person like we are here so thank you very much John I'm glad we didn't do this I love what you just said yeah (laughs) I love what you just said do you know I was thinking of that can I get someone to to come on zoom calls I just love the interaction and I you know the there's nuances and there's "Mm, I don't know if I disagree with that and I agree with that and that's life folks you know that's life. Like, that's life. You know, that's life. If someone said that, I forget who said that. And it's... Um, and here's to life. Here's to life. Well, I drank mine, like, but uh, we'll make a toast. We'll make a toast. Here's to life. we get arrested now I know. this is a pandemic. It's the... Yeah, I agree. But the, the Zoom calls, right? There's something lost. Like I was told, you're a go on Zoom there and, you know. But as you say, you're, you're there with someone, you're present. It's live, isn't it? Like, that's life. It's a real relationship. It's a, it's a real relating to someone else. Mm. I'm listening to people and I'm starting to learn already. This is my third podcast, right? Yeah, I have but, to say I'm filled with admiration for you, John, that you have created this space. Oh, for Jesus. That you have brought your sound 
barrier. You have brought all your speakers. Well, I, I hope we break the sound barrier. Like. Caster, it's super. <laughs> it is so good. Thank you. And congratulations on pursuing what what you're dreaming because it's terrific. Well, I just go with your dreams, I think, you know. And that's why the entrepreneurial spirit that I have, I just love creating. Like even businesses are creations. Like we're getting into the artistic thing. I, I just feel that businesses are creations. And if they're not, they can be. Um, and if they're not a creation, you're getting it wrong. If they're a means to make money, you're getting it wrong. But if they're a creation of something positive, I mean, um, and something that serves the, I serve the community by fixing phones and providing phones and things like that. And, you know, I get satisfaction out of that, you know, and I also get paid for it. I mean, I'm not getting paid for the podcast, but if there's anybody out there who wants to sponsor me, <laughs> please get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't mind it, right? Um, this is fun. This is like the the dessert for me in in business terms. Like I can sit here and I can I can have a conversation about art and and, and Zoom calls and stuff like that. And like I've met a load of people through the years, and I get into conversations with them, and it's like the banter at the counter. And it was like, geez, I said to myself, like. I wish I'd recorded that conversation I had with that person and that person, you know. Then, you know, we were talking before the podcast about how I moved from from taking photographs to then I did the screenplay thing and moved from one thing to the other. What I'm saying is people go for your dreams and even if you start at doing a certain thing, follow what you love to do and that path will eventually bring you along to what you're, you should be doing or you'll just love the path anyway. So you can't go wrong. If you always follow what you love to do, you can't go wrong because you're, you're going to end up where you are going to should have ended up. And you're in the perfect place wherever you are. And there are no problems, only solutions, really. I mean, I kind of embrace problems a bit now in my life. Where before I was kind of putting them off a bit. But they're actually... They're actually opportunities, really, if I have a really good look at it. like. And, yeah, I just love doing what I'm doing. Um... Or starting to do, do you know? And if there's two or three people listening, you're a fantastic audience. <laughs> Stay with us, for God's you're, sake. You're the lucky guys, the <laughs> lucky <you're> gals. <laughs> Stay tuned in. Don't go, don't leave us. But um, so you mentioned the plays and things like that. And I would be interested to know, you've started the drama group. Am I wrong? Drama group mm-hmm. in Tarbert? Tarbert Theatre Players. Theatre Players, yeah, okay. Have you anything coming up or yes, what's your have. dreams and aspirations and ambitions well, for it? My, my dreams, my aspirations, my ambitions for the pandemic was to make sure that Tarbot Theatre players would have a production because I didn't want the group to have nothing going on in the winter. I find the collective creative impulse is very good for us all. And we're all creating in common, whether we're building a set or whether we're making props or whether we're learning lines or whether we're making There's costumes. a lot to it, isn't there? When there you is drill a lot down. to yeah, it. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the play I selected was from Brian Friel. And uh, Brian Friel has many very famous plays, of course, Philadelphia, Here I Come, etc. I did that in school. Did I, you? But I forget it now. Mm. I forget it now. Well, I there is a really good play and it's based on four monologues. Uh, performed by three characters. So the first and fourth are by Frank Cardi and the second and third are by 
two other characters, Gracie and Teddy. So we have booked at the end of January for St. John's. 2021. Story, to, yeah, 2021, uh, to perform that play and it's called Faith Healer okay. Faith Healer by Brian Freel and can um, anybody if they're listening yeah, can they go to a website or anywhere uh, to Maura Logue at St. John's Theatre in Lestole okay. uh, will be accommodating us and we will run the last weekend in January assuming that the restrictions are lifted or that they're not lifted and reimposed again by then but whenever we will perform it that's where we will perform it and it will be then if it's possible then or alternatively it will be in February or in March at an alternative date but I suppose for me to know that collectively we are creating is wonderful and we are doing that um, on the telephone to each other we're doing that we're not meeting we're not breaking any rules and even to the point when we are performing we need never meet on stage because each performer delivers the narrative of the play in monologue form so therefore it's eminently suitable as a play for a period such as the pandemic so that's it Frank Hardy's Faith cool. Healer <laughs> I have to ask you, right, yeah. that you went from school teacher to setting up the Tabor Theatre Group. Mm. Um, what what was the moment where you knew you wanted to change your life? Well, I don't and was it asked for, or did you I go looking for it, or did it find you? You know, no. Thank you, John. I think that's exactly what it did. It found me. It found me when I gave myself permission to take a little bit of space to be quiet and to stroll with the dog, not be pressurised in having to, you know, perform X and Y at Tarbo Comprehensive School, not being pressurised to perform Z in Skullburgh, Z in Newcastle West, mm-hmm. which is another school I'd worked in one time. And I think it found me and it's still finding me. And it's because... I have allowed myself to, as they say, dip the toe in the stream and I'm not stepping out of it because I'm going where it's That sounds me. like you love doing what you're doing now. I do. Yeah. I really do. And, I and am, you're happy. I well, yeah. I, as I said, the word happy is kind of a strange word, but, but I it am seems certainly happy. content. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I am content and optimistic and looking forward to see where it goes. And, you know, there may be twists and turns, but that's life, isn't it? And yeah. uh, I think I'm blessed and fortunate. And it's a good thing. I'm all into inspiration and inspiring others. It's a good thing for someone else that's probably looking at where they are in life. Yeah. And where they want to go. And why are you doing what you're doing? Well, I do believe, John, that for every man or for every woman, irrespective of age, I think allowing yourself to... Be creative, whether it's with a pen in your hand or a paintbrush. Or business, or, you know? No, I, I, there are so many multiple ways. There are, I yeah. absolutely yeah. would, you know, be here for half an hour going through all of the variety of ways. But to allow yourself to be imaginative, to allow yourself to follow the thrust of where your imagination is taking you and to express it. It may be in your voice. Follow your song, joy, like? 
Yeah, it yeah. may be something in your your dance you might want to do. It could something be, you're passionate about. Well, even if it isn't a passion, it might be just something tentative. But don't be afraid of it. Don't neglect it. Have open the door, like, and have a look. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Embrace it. Yeah. Embrace it. Yeah. That's interesting. Great talking to you, Mary, honestly. Yeah, thank um, you very much, John, for the yeah. opportunity. I was at one side of the counter by I know the you're phone there. and I came See? behind the counter. <laughs> the, 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 we, we, got, we got another customer today. We nailed them down. And um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really insightful. And uh, the artistic thing, I'm, I'm really into myself and I love it. And I think I agree with you. It's, it's, it, it nourishes the soul, uh-huh. you know, doesn't so, it really? Gunnari and Borhalat, listen, Banter at the counter and go of Mila Mahagut. Go of Mahagut. Mahangalin. And at that, we'll leave it go. Thank you. <laughs> well, folks, that's it, unfortunately. We've reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us and listening. And if you want to hear more from us, please subscribe to our podcast. And details on how to do that are on our Facebook page, Banter at the Counter, and soon on www.banterattheCounter.com. Also hit us up on Twitter and Instagram if you want to keep in touch. So until next time, mind yourselves, please stay safe and be positive.